Yeah, so you had to you had to learn how to how to uh, I don't know what you call it, um, but lead from lead from the back. <laughs> it's influence rather than control. Uh, you know, I I was not so much a dictator, but the equivalent of it because I would say let's let, let's do this, let's go. You know, I would make very quick decisions on a lot of stuff. I wouldn't let a lot of stuff tumble around forever. So my decisiveness was a strength in a weakness. Um, so I eventually had to give up control and learn how to influence and, and learn to let them influence me, to let the influence flow in two directions. And that only happens when you are not a controlling leader are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have the pleasure of having on the line Fred Joyle. Fred, are you there? I am here and ready to go. Awesome. So glad to have you here. I, um, we were talking before you got on. You're, uh, you're coming in from L.A., which, uh, which is finally getting a little bit of sunshine today, I think. Yeah, we had an abundance of rain. It, we felt like Florida here for a while. So. I know, I know. I've been in Florida the last, you know, for the last year or so during the whole pandemic, and I came over here for the holidays. And then it just rained for like th the entire holidays. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> I came over here to get sunshine and there isn't any. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a beautiful day, like 70 degrees outside today. It's wonderful. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So what I want to do before we get too far into the uh, interview is do a quick introduction so my audience knows who you are. So Fred is a number one Amazon bestselling author of um, Boldness is a Superpower, uh, your speaker, entrepreneur, business advisor, and you um, co-funded or co-founded co the most successful dental referral service in the country, which is 1-800-DENTIST. I'm pretty sure all of us have heard those commercials on, um, on the television, um, which over the last 30 years has generated more than a billion dollars in revenue. Um, along with that achievement, you've also been awarded the Conrad Hilton Distinguished Entrepreneur Award by, La, I can't even pronounce that, Loya Marymount University, um, and had a successful career as one of the top advertising firms in Los Angeles, for which, as the company's CEO, you've written over 200 television and radio commercials, written two books on marketing, dabbled in stand-up and improv comedy, acted in bad movies, and in excellent TV commercials. So... With that uh, brief introduction, Fred, why don't you tell me a little bit about what it is that you are known for, right? What does your business do? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? Well, we 1-800-DENTIST was, uh, still is, but I sold it about five years ago, but it was a referral service for people to find a dentist. And the dentist paid me to be part of the service. I ran a call center and we ran television advertising uh, and that generated calls and said, we will match you with a dentist. It was before Yelp and those companies existed. 
we were the best way to get the most information about a dentist. So we created this service that about something that people had a lot of apprehension, a lot of anxiety and a lot of mystery and like how to pick a dentist. Um, and so, and that, that all evolved out of my advertising career, which is, was my first real career. I had a bunch of like pointless careers, not careers, jobs in between, uh, yeah. till I finally found my, my calling, so to speak. Awesome. And so you sold that business about five years ago. What is it that you do now? So now I uh, coach uh, CEOs uh, and 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 some of and, and a few high end dentists who have multiple practices, uh, having made you know many many mistakes, uh, totally millions of dollars. I have a lot to teach CEOs to have them avoid the potholes that I hit, and I've also I became motivated to write a book on boldness, on how to cultivate the superpower of boldness, because it was something I had to develop myself because I grew up as a very shy person. And so I, I created a system where anyone can learn to build their confidence and boldness to surprising levels very quickly. So that's become my new mission in life. And, and if that's all I do from now on, that's going to be very satisfying because I I want people to live full and satisfying lives and this can help them. Absolutely. So you, you transitioned from building 1-800-DENTIST into, uh, into teaching entrepreneurs and others how to build boldness. What I want to find out is how did you get started in in uh, the advertising career and starting your 1-800-DENTIST uh, your thing? We call it um, your origin story here on this show. Every comic, good comic book hero has their origin story. And it's basically, um, you know, what made you become an entrepreneur? Were you bit by a you know radioactive spider that made you want to uh, start 1-800-DENTIST or did you start in a job and eventually become, you know, move into the entrepreneur field that way? So I, when I get out of college and actually it took me eight years to finish college, but I did all sorts of interesting and uninteresting jobs just so that I could travel a lot. I was, a I worked in a kitchen in Europe for six months uh, I had a painting business. I worked in a machine ship, machine shop. I laid carpeting. I did all sorts of stuff just for money, uh, with no sense of what I wanted to do. And then, uh, I was out visiting a friend in Los Angeles and he was a storyboard artist. And so he took me into the ad agency that he was working at, which was a fairly large Los Angeles agency. And I'm, and, and the, the, everything about it just said, oh, my gosh, these are my people. I have I have this is what I want to do. So he introduced me to the general manager of the station. And I said, I, how do I get a job here? And he says, well, I'm not going to hire you because you don't know how to write advertising. So there's a night school that you can go to. This was sort of my Batman training. Right. It's like where, where I learned the martial arts of advertising. And it was taught by creative directors at night. So I went to this school for six months and refined my writing skills and got the first job that I interviewed on. And, and then I worked in an ad agency and, and I just loved it. And, I, and because of all those crazy businesses that I worked in, I really identified with the business owners and their need and desire to actually sell their product. Because a lot of people make advertising that's that's fun and interesting, but doesn't sell anything. 
yeah. but the, but it looks good on your resume in your portfolio, right? So I was I became very good at doing advertising that worked, uh, but I didn't really want the career arc of being in in advertising because basically it swoops up in income and then falls off a cliff right at fifty years old, and you can't make a tenth of the money you were used to making. So uh, it just happened that a friend of mine said, I've got this 800 number. I think you could turn it into a business. So it was that random. And, and he said, you, you know, you have all this advertising skill. Uh, and so he licensed me the phone number. And another friend of mine who was a stockbroker said, I can't stand to be a stockbroker anymore. All I do is you know, make commissions off people losing money. And it's like he says, I'm losing my soul here. Uh, so we got together and started it and beat the streets and found 18 dentists to go along with it in Los Angeles, uh, set up a phone room in this 200 square foot room and uh, ran radio ads. And we got 50 phone calls the first day. And after six months of just trying to get the doctors to go along with it, and, and we went, wow, this this is actually going to work, maybe. Uh, so we just kept adding dentists and spending more money in advertising. We had no idea if it was going to succeed. It wasn't profitable for about two and a half years. We just kept building up more and more uh, advertising debt. Um, but all of a sudden, it tipped. And it tipped when we went on television. And I wrote a television spot, uh, found some people to make it really cheap, and it really clicked. And then... After a while, we just kept making more and more TV spots. Eventually, I was in the TV spots for about 20 years. Um, and so that evolved into writing marketing books and public speaking and, and just a, a very satisfying set of twists and turns along the way, uh, along with massive numbers of mistakes, of course. <laughs> So how long did you um, did you run 1-800-DENTIST from, from inception to when you sold it? Uh, so started all the way back in 86 and uh, and right around uh, 2017 is when I sold it. I had uh, stepped down as CEO three years earlier, but stayed there. Uh, and then and then once we completely sold the business. Then I, then I was done and I moved on. But I, I still do a lot of work in the dental industry because that's where I'm really well known. Um, but I really so, wanted to get beyond. I wanted to get out and have a greater impact on the world. So you ran that company for almost 30 years. How, how big was the company like from an employee standpoint when you, when you sold it? Uh, about 250 employees. Um, and, uh, it was, and we had just a great culture. I mean, just to give you a, a sense of it, uh, that's what we were really good at. My partner and I is creating a place where people wanted to come to work every day. And so my last month at work where we celebrate the birthdays and the anniversary, we would always have cake day where we would do that. I celebrated three 25 year employees and one 10 year employee all in the same month. It was it was one of the most gratifying days to see that we had these people, their lives were at, at and careers were at our place and they were of course integral to the success of the business and that's really it but my business was successful because of the people we had working there uh, i can't take a lot of credit for it so that's a uh, really impressive especially to have 
have people that have worked for you for 25 years and uh, um, and continue to do so. That's, uh, that's really cool. And I think that's actually probably a really good transition into talking about um, how you developed your superpower over the course of building that company, right? So we talk on this show, every hero has their um, their superpower, whether that's a fancy flying suit made by genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over time um, so that you could actually uh, go out and help your your people slay their villains, right? Come out on top on their journeys. Um, and the way I like to phrase uh, to, to frame this for people is if you look at all the skills that you've developed, there's probably a common thread that sort of ties all of those ties all those skills together. And that common thread is where you're going to find your superpower. So what do you think your superpower is? I, I think it's my creative persuasiveness, I think would be the easiest way to frame it, uh, it with a larger element of creativity, because I was always challenged on the business side. I, I didn't I didn't have a good financial head and and those those kind of things, those organizational things weren't my strength. But I could really get the team ready to go and, and try something new and get behind it. Uh, and uh, and then get really creative about what we did either in the advertising world or in marketing our business or in eventually promoting me uh, with using books that I had written. So my writing blossomed into an, an ability to really effectively persuasively communicate. And it, and it was and I just it became this reflex. And now it all started at the ad agency and then the school before that, where uh, I, I learned how to craft messages and they would sometimes they just bring me into a room and they say, OK, we, we need uh, a title for the webinar or we need this or we need that. And, and I would brainstorm with them for three minutes and have something and they would just laugh. Right. And it's like. It, you're, they say like, you're like a vending machine. It's like we put in a quarter and we get out what we need, you know, every time. You get out um, good titles. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, they realized I was very good on my feet. Now I had trained myself to be very good on my feet by doing stand-up comedy and improv classes and acting classes and having a speaking coach and, and develop that ability because I really wanted to be good on stage, even though for many years I was too shy to try anything like that. But I developed the skill and then and mostly by getting up on stage and not being that good until I got better and better. Uh, but I, it allowed me to really promote the business effectively because I could go out into the industry and go to these conventions and things like that and and attract dentists to us. They saw us coming from a place of generosity. My books taught them how to market their dental practices well, whether they were clients of mine ever or not. Uh, yeah. So they they were just out it's in the world with helping everybody. Before, before leading with value was popular. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and that and it it was very gratifying for me because I would meet dentists that I didn't know. And they'd say, look, I've never been a client of yours, but five years ago I got your book and it changed everything because I was hanging by my fingernails and I didn't know what to do. And somebody gave me your book and I just got, got my team to do it and, and got behind all these ideas. And, and 
you know, now I'm thriving. And it, and it would be so incredibly gratifying because the guy came out of nowhere. I didn't even give him the book and he wasn't a client, but I had had an impact, a profound impact on his business. So that's, that's kind of the real reward of business. If, if you're, if you're just, if you're not driven by money as your only purpose, which is not a purpose, right? Money yeah. should be a byproduct of your success and your serving of your giving something that a, a customer wants, uh, that somebody is benefiting, uh, to me, the, the gratification is like these these guys didn't know what to do and we were helping them. They didn't know how to attract patients and we were helping them. They didn't know how to translate the, that potential patient into a productive patient, which is a lot of what we taught them. What do you do internally to market your practice? So all of that stuff just became part of my reputation as someone who just has this wealth of knowledge on on how to make your business thrive and yeah. uh in the industry so very really uh, cool. and i like i like the uh i like the thought of 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 calling your superpower the uh the creative persuasive creative persuasion um because I, I i have this uh thought i guess that i always, I always talk about marketing in terms of uh alchemy because it always strikes me as a, a type of alchemy where like if you put you if you learn to string your words together properly, you can turn you can turn your words into gold. Right. Um, which is which is very similar. And right? it's 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 all it's all persuasion of some sort where you're like, hey, if I if I put these words together in the right way in front of the right people, they're actually going to like change their life in some way. Right. And if yeah. Yeah. <laughs> putting it something exactly yeah. that right way that that penetrates because there's. <clears throat> There's this whole idea of like people think they're communicating. It's like you're not communicating until they can until they've understood what you said and actually can play it back to you. Um, and so a lot of people think they're really clever communicators, but what they may be is clever, but the communication may or may not be happening. We were always very focused and I just became very focused on how effective the communication was. The other thing people would say is, your business books are really readable. Um, they say, you know, there's a lot of great business books out there, but you really earn every bit of knowledge because they're just not that well written or, or you know, the, the, the guy is too professorial or whatever. Um, I tried to make my books like you were having a conversation with me. Uh, and that's what people told me. That was their experience of it. So. That's yeah, that's part of the superpower is, you know, making making it so it actually works to communicate. Yeah, it's it's helping. It's that it's that persuasive part of the communication, right, of the creativity that that actually gets someone to understand it and then understand it well enough to change how they're acting based on that new knowledge, right? So to change their marketing practices in their business or to you know sign up and work with one eight hundred dentists, whatever it is, right? They're they're actually taking taking an action based on that communication. Yeah. That's awesome. So if the superpower is the creative persuasion, the flip side of that, of course, is your fatal flaw, right? And just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her braces of victory without going mad, you probably had a flaw that held you back as you tried to grow your business, something you struggled with. For me, I struggled with a lot of things. I still struggle with some of these things, but perfectionism, for one, um, kept me from shipping product. Um, another one was uh, um, being, uh, what do you call it, not having good boundaries, 
right? And I had poor boundaries with time and poor boundaries with my clients. Um, and, you know, that was basically it's a self-care problem, right? Not learning how to put yourself at the top of your, uh, pay yourself first in all those, those respects um, and learning how to overcome those so you can, can still grow. So what do you think um, your fatal flaw has been? I think more importantly, how have you worked to overcome it so you could continue to grow your business? My fatal flaw was, uh, and and to a degree still is, but of course I'm still working at it, is I want to spend the money now. I want to I want to push all my chips into the middle of the table all the time. Uh, and there are there are times when that things need to be more thought out, especially if you have a, a foundational organization that that the mothership needs to be protected. And I would I would go off on it on enough wild schemes that we were constantly draining the war chest. And so we never really had one. Uh, we were we paid ourselves well. We took care of people really well. But we had we never had any buffer money because I go, look, we've got two million dollars. We can do this. We can do that. And, you know, like, oh, let's borrow this and, and then, you know, and and roll along in this direction. Let's try this. And, you know, there was some big mistakes that, you know, you've got to figure out how to recover from because I would, I would be making big, not well calculated bets and only learn afterwards that it was poorly calculated. So I had to learn to trust my team and particularly have a really strong CFO that would say, not this month, Fred, or not this year, or not that much money. Right. Uh, or or, you know, my brother was my COO and he was actually a, a great counterpoint because he would say this is going to take a lot longer than you think, because the other side of the fatal flaw is I think everything can take two weeks. Right. Yeah. And nothing takes two weeks. Right? Uh, nothing. Nothing that I imagine. Uh, every I, I always. I, totally under projected how long anything would take to get done. Um, and, and because of it, we, you know, we would be six months into something that I thought would be done in two and I would be incredibly frustrated and they would feel the pressure of my frustration. Uh, but it was just me being unrealistic. Uh, I, that's probably, I'm a visionary, which makes me unrealistic. Right. Uh, so how, how did you, over the years work to overcome that that flaw and and start making better more calculated decisions as you went along i it came from the mistakes being painful enough that at one point or another i would have to absorb the shock because i you know we'd put ourselves in a position where i'd have to take a cut and pay uh until we recovered from it and so i i what i did is i began to completely abdicate control uh, of of the operation of the business and just and become the the listening ceo I'd say, I'd say here's what i where i think we can go how do you think we can get there and and what what are the resources we're going to need to do it and does it make sense and what's wrong with it i i was i was so persuasive for the first part of my career that people wouldn't speak up and go I think this is uh, a half-baked idea. <laughs> this, this, this needs a little more time and a little more thinking, and and maybe it's not a good idea at all. But maybe it's not a good idea right now, or maybe there's somewhere else where we should focus 
our time and money and attention on. Uh, I didn't, I, I was so good at, at getting them excited about it, but then they'd have to figure out how. And then eventually I realized what I was doing because I thought it was just a big room of discussions about it, right? And, and my brother finally also explained to me, he said, you know, when you talk, it's not like just another person in the room talking, it's the CEO talking. So they're not gonna be as comfortable offering their contradictory ideas or their counterpoint, or just saying that's not gonna work. He said, you gotta back off. And that's really what I needed to do is I needed to learn to shut up. Uh, yeah. and speak last and it, it's hard. Yeah. So you had to, you had to learn how to, how to, uh, I don't know what you call it. Um, but lead from lead from the back. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's influence rather than conflo- control. Uh, you know, I, I was n- not so much a dictator, but the equivalent of it, because I would say, let's, let, let's do this. Let's go. You know, I would make very quick decisions on a lot of stuff. I wouldn't let a lot of stuff tumble around forever. So my decisiveness was a strength in a weakness. Um, so I eventually had to give up control and learn how to influence and, and learn to let them influence me to let the influence flow in two directions. And that only happens when you are not a controlling leader. So what would be your biggest piece of advice for other you know, up and coming visionary leaders who have small teams that are looking to grow um, if they're struggling with something similar? Get really clear on your weaknesses and don't hire people like yourself hire people that cover your weaknesses and respect them and empower them because a lot of people they when they start business they 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 hire their core team is five of them and they all have the same weaknesses and they're missing huge things and and then then they so they have let's say they have five people who are all visionaries and creators and you know smart engineers and stuff like that and they bring in a financial person and she's stuck trying to keep the thing afloat because she's got five people trying to spend money in five directions. And so she doesn't, she's not empowered enough because the, the, it's imbalanced. Um, so I, I learned early on that my partner was much better at selling than I was because I could never do the same pitch twice. Once the pitch was honed, he could do it a hundred times in a row, exactly the same. So I learned to say, I'm going to let him handle the sales team and train the sales team. Because if I train them, they'll talk to everybody for 30 minutes when they should be talking for seven. Mm-hmm. And, and then they'll be freestyling it like I do every time. And so that was the first moment of it. And then I realized as, as we were running the money around, I said, I, I need somebody much stronger with financial statements who can also, and also with banking relationships so that there is always enough money because we kept running out. We kept, we kept running super lean and then have to borrow it. And then we have a great influx of cash and we get ahead again and then I have an idea and away we, and there, there would go the money. So, uh, it, it's, you you've got to bring people in that are different than you and that are really strong at what they do 
and then you got to open your mind to contradictory opinions. So one one of the things you said earlier that I wanted to just touch on a little bit because I think it might be interesting for people who are maybe in a different place in their business is you mentioned your your war chest was always empty, and I I want I want to touch a couple of things. One for you know people who are younger in their their business, what do you mean by a war chest, and why would it be beneficial to have a full war chest? Uh, so conceptually, the war chest is that you have a reserve of cash that you don't need for anything and that you never say, OK, you never do that thing, like I said, of pushing all your chips in the middle of the table. Uh, oh, we can do this. All we have to do is buy this company. It's going to take all our cash, but it'll be great. It's going to add tremendous money to the bottom line. And it's, it's a series of assumptions all revolving around that, that they're going to all go right. And of course, they're not. Five of them may and two of them aren't. And what happens is the money disappears. Um, and you never have any room to absorb shock. We went through, you know, the 2008 financial crisis. We, we you know, we, we went through the 2000.com bust. These were major impact things that we were we were terribly at risk because we didn't have any money to absorb the shock. We just you know we we would buy media and not have to pay for ninety days. So we always had multi million dollar media debt that we were rolling forward. But if anything happened to that where we couldn't pay it, we would lose all our media credit and we'd have to start paying in advance. So it would move our payables. 120 days in the wrong direction and we'd be out of business so wh whatever you're doing make sure that there's some reserve this is true in your personal life as well you, you know at some point something's going to go wrong with your car or your house or your health and you're going to need some cash uh it's the same thing with your business and the bigger you get the bigger the war chest should be and, you know, a lot of people go, well, I don't want to pay taxes, so we're going to distribute all the money. It's like pay the damn taxes and and have the war chest. Don't distribute all your money because, you know, at some point you may have to go back to your partners and say, we need we need to all inject a half a million back into the business right now. Um, and nobody wants to do that. And not everybody has it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do you have any rules of thumb for people? Like, you know, should you have like six months of payroll or anything like what do you if you were just thinking, hey, wherever you're at in your business, your war chest should look like this? Yeah, I, I think it should be uh, ideally at least three months of revenue of, of gross revenue that you have in reserve. Um, and it all depends what kind of payables that you're running. But your your balance sheet should always be positive by by at least the equivalent of three months of what you generate in revenue. So so if you're generating two million dollars a month in revenue, you need you need six million bucks sitting somewhere, pretty much liquid that you that you can get to whenever you need it. And the only time you spend money is when you have 8 million bucks, you spend two of it and you keep the six. Um, uh, or you say, is, does it make more sense to borrow it? 
it, you know, because now, now money's cheap, right? So you're yeah. constantly making that decision. Or should I, should I tap the reserves or should I just get some debt? Cause, cause money is so cheap. If I can earn 20% on the money and borrow it for 3% or 4%, let's borrow. Uh, yeah. But meanwhile, I could pay the whole debt off tomorrow. And what happens is they'll lend you tons of money if you've got a, a war chest. They'll lend you massive amounts of money. We were always good at getting better debt than we should have gotten because our bank really understood our business model and our cash flow situation. But and that was that was a weakness also because we, because the bank understood us. That was another reason why we didn't build a war chest. We could always tap them for a million bucks um, and, and, you know, with a floating line of credit. And, and so we went, oh, well, we can always do this or we can and or and they trusted us that we were always going to pay them because we were 15 years into the relationship and, and they had all our money in their bank and we were always paying them. And so they would yeah. just go into the loan committee and say, who's a better risk than these guys? They just all they do is pay us for 15 years. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, yeah. let's it's, lend them some money. So It's an interesting discussion, especially with what's going on right now with all of our financial systems that. You know, if you want your business to weather whatever storms are coming up, which it definitely looks like there's more coming with everything from shipping constraints to um, to problems with our dollar to everything else that's happening. A war chest is probably a fantastic idea for whatever your business is. Well, and even just a, a war chest also may not just be money, but it could be supplies. It could be, you know, what it, what is what is your you know what they what everybody's looking at is chip problems and stuff right now i was just talking to a guy oh, yeah. That, that yeah that, that, that he had a volvo dealership and he said we killed it in in this year he said because volvo had parts we had all the parts we needed we had cars he said we sold because people would come and come to us and say do you have cars or can you fix my car and we'd say yes other people their cars would break and couldn't be fixed other brands so that's that's the power of of anticipating that everything is not going to go right and just having enough reserve of your technology and and your capability to to weather things but also to take advantage of downtimes downtimes are always coming everybody should be looking at right now that downtimes are coming right this is we've been in, in a in a boom stretch for a while and the wealthiest people in the world are peeling off their stock, right? So this, this, how much more do you need to know about the marketplace, <laughs> right? If that's happening, if Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are selling stock, does that mean they think everything's going to keep going like this forever or not? And, yeah, and you can true. be in a great position if, if things go, things go wrong uh, and you've, you've anticipated where where are we when things aren't going steadily up? How how do yeah. we pivot and do better instead of just survive? And then the other thing that's really useful to note too is because things don't always go bad. And if you have a big war chest, and you are you you can flex your muscle in good times, right? You can you can show up and take advantage of opportunities that you would have to pass by if you didn't have that ready to go. Yeah, I mean, the cash is is always going to be king if you find a business that you really like. And it, let's say we had this. We had a business that 
we really liked, we wanted it, and it was going to cost us $3 million. And everybody else that, that wanted their technology was offering them terms. It's like, oh, all right, we'll buy you for, for $4 million, but we're going to pay you over five years. Uh, and, and they would say, yeah, we don't want to do that. <laughs> we, we could just keep the business and make that money. Uh, so we walked in and said, no, we'll, we'll just buy it. And they, they liked that, uh, because it was done. It wasn't, we weren't playing some sort of game. It's like, what do you want for it? Okay. This is what we're willing to pay for it, but we'll, you know, we'll wire the money, all of it. And they go, ah, okay. Yeah. That's, uh, appealing. And <laughs> money loves speed. Yeah. Yeah. Speed to close is, is really powerful. It's, it's a lot easier to get to. Yes. So, you know, when you start playing games, you lose the deal a lot of times. So I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, about a common enemy in your business. Right. And so this would um, generally put this in context of your clients, but every superhero has an arch nemesis, right. And it's the thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. Right. Um, so in the world of business, um, we like to put it in, like I said, in context of your clients. So it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you constantly had to fight to overcome so that you could actually get them the results that they were coming to you for. And so in the world of I guess you could do either way in the world of 1-800-DENTIST or now when you're um, the speaking and teaching that you do with entrepreneurs, what's a mindset or a flaw that you constantly sort of run into that you have to fight against all the time? Hey, this is this is applies to a lot of businesses, but we had a lot of trouble getting the our client, the dentist, to understand the value that he or she was getting for what they were paying us. So let's say they're paying us $20,000 a year to be part of our program. They wouldn't have any systems in place to say, what's my ROI on this marketing? So they would they would take snapshots of it. They would they would basically go by what the last patient spent, and they would say, "Oh, we got a really good patient from 800 dentists. It's working really well." Or they would go by what the front desk person said. Oh, there's a lot of people who don't show up, and because she's going to deal with the annoyance of it. So mm -hmm. we we could and we couldn't get into their systems and show them the ROI because anybody who did it would find out that we were doing 5X, that we, we, we our ROI was four or five to one, even if they were doing a lot of stuff wrong, if they were wasting the referrals that we sent them. But we never, we couldn't get into their database and, and prove this out. Uh, so we, because of it, we churned a lot of clients who would come back two years later and go, I, I need to get back on again. I realized that I needed you. And it was like, it's too late now. Right. We've already replaced you with somebody in your immediate area. We can't support you anymore. So the, this this was our arch enemy the whole time was we couldn't get the client. And this is what's important in any business. You need to be able to show the client in a measurable way that they understand what the value is that they're getting. For, and that's the glue that keeps them on. Otherwise, you're going to turn over clients that are perfectly good clients that are technically happy and just don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting thing. Cause I, I, we worked in the, uh, when I was doing marketing and advertising, um, we worked in the dental space for a while and 
I know one of the things that we had to build um, was we actually built like a, a spreadsheet that they could put in the leads that they got and the sales that they did from them. And then I, we taught them how to like track up sales and other things just cause, so they could we could solve that particular problem because people wouldn't they, they don't see what happens after the first sale over the first impression. And that like, you know, it's very hard to teach a business owner how to see lifetime customer value and, you know, how the, the other things that go into um, into the value creation process. You, you guys are creating leads essentially, right? But, you know, a lead is a lot more valuable than just the initial phone call, um, you know, because, you know, I, I believe when we were looking at it, like dental clients have a, a lifetime value of like eight years or something like that. Uh, yeah, and it's 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 in the tens of thousands very often, but yeah. minimum it's a ten thousand dollar LTV. Um, yeah, and and so against the cost of acquisition of maybe four or five hundred bucks in a very expensive market like LA, and so yeah. cheaper all all the way down. So if you took a business person who understood those metrics and you said, "Look, I'm going to give you leads, uh, warm leads for five hundred dollars." your average return is going to be $10,000. They would say, I will take 1 million of those. All day, uh, twice on know, Sunday. Thank you very uh, much. But we, were, but we were in a constant process of debating this stuff with dentists because we couldn't show it to them because of this exact thing. They, they didn't have a tracking system or if they had one, they didn't know how to use it or they wouldn't look at it. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting because it's the same in, in every every business that I've ever been in. Um, is trying to show the business how how to see the long term value. Um, it's it's very difficult, and you know it's from a marketing standpoint when you're putting your advertising and you're putting your marketing together, you have to be able to communicate that value because it's not always like in in the marketing space, right? We're talking ROI. We'll give you you know five hundred dollar leads. You make ten thousand dollars lifetime customer value. It's money at a discount. But you know if you're selling stuff in the relationship space or in the health space, a lot of that doesn't have a monetary monetary ROI. So you have to learn how to communicate value differently, um, and you have to start talking about ROI in terms of time saved or in um, in the, the, you know, the value of life and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's a very difficult conversation to have with people so they can actually understand the, the value transaction. Well, and you, you even need investors that understand that. Let's say you raise money. If you have a, a, a SaaS product, software as a service product, you're going to 100% of the revenue that you would spend, you would get from that client is going to be your cost of acquisition of that client. Right. And yeah. that's that's a basic metric. And if you're doing that, if the first year you, you break even on that client with your marketing costs, now that's your marketing costs is sales commission. It's everything. If, if that's what happens, you're fine with a SaaS product because after year one, you're at a 70 or 80 percent margin profit margin on that client. So yeah. you can do that. Other other clients manufacturing, you have, it's, a, it's a whole different model. Um, but so you have to understand your model, and so does so does your so do your backers. Um, yeah. So one of the uh, one of the most interesting spaces I ever worked in, we did uh, work in the solar space, um, and uh, worked with big commercial companies. And one of our software products was it was a software and um, hardware combination that we could go into a manufacturing plant and we could work with like say Safeway for instance and we could tell them how much 
energy a single loaf of bread cost to produce. So they were used to having cogs, like here's how much flour it costs to make a loaf of bread. But the energy cost was just like a big line item for the whole facility. Um, and so it was like a, a major mindset shift for the facility to be able to have ECOGs, right? Energy cost of goods sold, right? It's right down to that model of knowing how, what kind of things you could change and how that impacts your ROI. So yeah, it's def- definitely a, it, you have to understand your model and understand where your costs come in and, <laughs> and how you can. Yeah. You, 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 you've, you've got to know your metrics and you've got to find a way to show the, the customer some, some measurement of value. Um, you know, when I coach CEOs, they can't necessarily put a dollar value on my coaching, except sometimes I'm going to give them one thing in my hour conversation with them where they say, oh yeah, uh, I shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and it could just be that you've got to let this person go or they'll, they'll run a whole pitch by me and they'll say, what do you think? And I'll say, I think it's priced completely wrong. Really? Why? And then I can tell them and they won't spend $300,000 launching it that way. So what they paid me, let's say they're paying me $5,000 a month to coach them. One response I've given them covers their cost of me for the year. So once they're with me long enough, they know that that happens, but I can't, it's, it's not linear, but I, I always say to them, look, if you can't, 10x what you're paying me by having me as your coach, then your business isn't big enough, basically, because I know what I can do for you. Uh, but you but you have to, you know, if you're running a million dollar a year business, I'm no good to you because you're not going to be able to pay me sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year to coach you. You're not you're not you don't have the room in your business. I can't move the needle enough for you. So yeah. That's yeah, part of the yeah. that's part of the fun of it is is when they say something and I've, I've already made that mistake, you know, and I just say, yeah, I know that feels, that sounds great, but no, don't do that. Don't, don't ever do don't that. Don't do that. That'll be very expensive here. Let me show you yeah. why. Yeah. <laughs> let me show you the receipts. <laughs> so, so the flip side of your common enemy, of course, is your driving force, right? So um, if you're um, just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. I want to know what it is that you fight for with your businesses now, um, your mission, so to speak. Well, my mission certainly has evolved now that I'm published super bold uh, that I want everyone to be able to harness this superpower so that they can chase their dreams and not have a life of regrets, not get to the end of their life saying, I should have done this, I should have done that. And, and to overcome their hesitation and their reticence so that they can pursue life knowing that the, the clock is always ticking. So my goal is to teach as many people to be as bold as possible because we get big problems and we need people willing to take bold moves to solve them. Uh, and that's all comes from inside them. Um, but my mission always was we had simple rules. We wanted a great place to go to work. We wanted the, everybody to win. The customer had to win. We had to win. The marketplace had to win. In other words, we weren't, we, we weren't strip mining or doing something to the environment or the world 
that created a negative so that we could win. And, uh, and, and, in the, and the employees won. It had to be this place where if they worked there, they liked working there, they liked what they accomplished. Um, and so my mission has always been like, let's try to bring as much value as possible to the people working there, to the people we serve as customers. And we had two customers. We had people who weren't paying us anything, which was the patients or potential patients. We had the dentists who were paying us. So we had, we had to serve two masters knowing only one was paying us, but we couldn't behave like the one paying us was the only master. We had to take care of that patient too, because there had to be two winners yeah. in the transaction. The patient had to find a great dentist. The dentist had to get a great patient. And as much as we could, we had to work that formula. So I'm addicted to everybody winning. So <laughs> Your, your yeah. mission with uh, Super Bold reminds me of my, uh, one of my favorite quotes that I, I've had on my wall since I was a little boy. It was from Mark Twain who said, you know, 20, 20 years from now, you'll regret more of the things you didn't do than the ones you did. Um, so throw off the bow line, sail away from the safe harbor, explore, dream and discover. And I always, I always like that really sat well with me. And I've always really liked that idea. And, you know, I'm, I'm 36 now. Right. And we've done all sorts of things from travel all over the world with my, with our kids and run a couple of businesses from the back bedroom of an RV, um, all sorts of just crazy cool things because I've, I've sort of lived that in my own life where it's, it's, uh, and, and I can tell like the only things that I've ever regretted are things that I chose not to do. Yeah, um, I haven't yet run into something that I did do that I regretted later, even things that turned out poorly. Um, I've never regretted those things. And it's it, only the ones where I'm where I have that question. I had what if I had done that? What if I had chosen to do that instead? Um, those are always where the regrets come in. And I tell people now, you know, because I do the whole podcast thing, too, where I go and get on other people's podcasts. And they, you know, one of the questions I always gets asked, you know, what's one piece of advice you'd give someone? And I always tell people is take the risk. Right. Whatever, whatever it is, take the risk, because the, the chances of you regretting it are bigger if you say no than if you say yes. <laughs> it, it guarantees failure if you don't try. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and but and yeah, I, but I that's people... it. You take the risk. It's it, it sums it up really well, because in that you will discover something. And it may be a very powerful lesson. You know, we in our business, we we would make bets and we'd lose a million dollars. Um, and if we didn't learn anything from it, then we lost a million dollars. But if we went like, why did we lose a million dollars? How could we how, what can we glean from this? This was a very expensive classroom. Let, <laughs> we paid the tuition. Let's learn the lessons from it. Yeah, and then yeah, you look back and go, getting, you're getting a lesson it, or you're getting a story. You're always getting something out of it when you say yes, when you take yeah. the risk. Or sometimes it's just the, the, the cheap thrill of you tried it and fell flat on your face, but you went, ah, oh, I, I tried, you know. Now you got uh, now you got the scar on your forehead to tell around yeah. the, yeah, yeah. Around the, around the uh, fire pit. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Man. Yeah. And that's, um, it, you know, they're one of the things that, that I, we talk about a lot is how human beings are storyborn people, right? And we build our relationships and we build our businesses and we build our, 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 our whole life on the stories we have with each other. And stories come when you say yes, 
right? When you take the risk, when you do the things. <laughs> and so that takes that boldness that you're talking about, being able to stand up and actually just do something. Um, yeah. And so anyways, I appreciate your mission and what it is that you're trying to do, because I know it's had a huge impact on my life, even though that's, it's just my own, my own decisions, my wife and I together. But um, I, I, I definitely would love to see more people take that, those bold steps. Um, because the ones who do that are the ones who are going to change the world and make this a better place. Yeah. And, and it'll be a fulfilling life. They may not die wealthy. I may die broke, but my life story is going to have some fabulous twists and turns to it and some, and some great adventures to talk about uh, rather than, I mean, I, the other thing I say to people is like, you really don't want it, uh, your, your epitaph to be, I played it as safe as possible my entire life. I mean, because you only get one life, you know, oh, all, and as you said, the, the great stories the come from saying yes. Yeah. So the great stories from, come from getting out of your comfort zone. So yeah. Yeah. Take the and risk. One of the, uh, one of the things that, that I, I have um, really come to love since we started uh, traveling with our business was um, realizing that like the good and the bad are all sort of part of the story. Um, and I started referring to it as the, the texture and contrast of life, right? Where, you know, when you look at a good picture or a good, you know, a good movie, it's, it's going to have, it's going to have the highs and the lows, right? It's going to have both. And yeah. I think mistakes that people make is they try to keep their life as close to median as possible, right? And that's just a recipe for being boring, right? And, and I think when, you know, when you, when you open yourself up to big risks, you open yourself up for both big wins and big losses, and both of those are ultimately they're good things in your life. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really true because the other thing that happens is if you survive a big loss, you get to that tells you something about yourself. If you find if you dig yourself out of a huge hole, you become even more fearless because you you say to yourself, "Wow." I, I was I was nearly destroyed and I figured out a way out of it. So now you become even more invincible in your mind. It's like I can take more on because even if it all goes badly, I'll figure out something. I'll figure out my way back. So yeah, yeah. it's and, it's, I mean, it's great it's to know about yourself. So it's true in business. It's true in life. And it's like, you know, I, I mentioned we've been traveling. We're in an RV. One of the things that, you know, people people are like, you know what? They ask us all the time. So we've been traveling for five years full time. And they're like, you know, what's one of the things that you should know? And I'm like, if, if it's attached to the RV in some way, it's going to break. Right. Doesn't matter what it is. It all all of it will all break. Um, and the, the reason I say that is because like at this point, I've learned how to fix everything. Right. Like slides, plumbing, carpentry you know, like electrical stuff, all of it and all stuff like five years ago. I mean, I knew how that they, those things existed. Um, but at this point, like when things break, I'm like, I know exactly what to do to fix them and to, you know, continue on our way. And it's like having, it's like having a, a whole new set of superpowers, right? Like I, I can fix all the things that break on something like an RV or a yacht. Um, and, you know, it's the same kind of thing in business. The more, the more that you try, the more that you put offers out there and the more that things break and you have to fix them, the more you have a tool chest of like, I know how to solve these problems, right? And so things don't scare you as well. And you're more willing to say yes when opportunities come. Um, and you have more tools to make those opportunities turn into wins instead of losses. Yeah, I, that's so true. And, and that's really what comes from 
taking chances, taking risks, putting yourself out there because your already breaks down. You got to figure out how to fix it. <laughs> you, yeah. There's there's no option. You know, you're out in the Palm Desert or something like that. And you've never changed a flat before. Well, you better figure out how to change a flat. Got to figure out <laughs> yeah. how to do it. Yeah. I just yeah. had a $3,700 worth of tire repairs we had to do a few months ago. So I know exactly what that's like. Uh, <laughs> so. I want to uh, switch gears and talk about something more practical. Um, we talk about this, uh, the hero's tool belt, right? And, you know, just like every superhero has their, uh, you know, gadgets like batarangs and web slingers and uh, laser eyes or the big magical hammer. I want to talk about the top one or two tools you couldn't live without in your business. Could be anything from your notepad, your calendar, your marketing tools, something you use for your product delivery, something you think is essential to getting your job done on a daily basis. So I can do a, a bunch of them because there's they're, such a variety to them. One of them is uh, Evernote, which is a software that you put notes in and into various notebooks and they synchronize with every device you use. So yeah. every everything's basically in, in real, your note instantly appears in real time everywhere. So if I'm riding my bike and something gets comes to me, I can just stop my bike, grab my phone, dictate the note and it and and now it's there on on all my devices and and I've got notebooks for everything I'm working on or everything I want to be working on so th that's an essential thing in my life without that um the other thing that's uh, a tool but it's being able to speak comfortably to a camera you have yeah, to develop this skill thing. because if you're not good at video you're dead meat, right? Basically, you're you're living in a world that everything needs a video at this point. And so you have to say, how do I talk to a camera like it's my best friend? How do I get good at this? How do I refine my ideas down to what somebody is going to understand? How do I not babble? How do I not say, um, 6,000 times? All of those things are going to happen because the the other part of the tool is you got to watch the videos. You got to watch what you do in your videos, and so you go, "What the heck am I doing? What am I saying? Why did I keep saying that? That's not what I wanted to say. Why do I keep grabbing my nose? You know, whatever the heck it is, you're gonna you're gonna learn from watching yourself. It takes boldness to put yourself in 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 that position and take that. Uh, painful learning because it's so uncomfortable. You just say, I don't want to know how bad I am. Well, guess what? You need to find out how bad you are so you can get good. So that's, that is a business skill. And you have to learn how to sell as a general rule. You have to learn how to not just communicate, but how to ask for the money, whether you're asking for money from investors or you're asking for a deal or you're, or you're uh, asking for a partnership, or you're asking for a job, or you're asking somebody you, to come work for you. you. You found this fantastic engineer. You have to sell her the career with you. You have to be good at that. Your persuasion to move somebody to a decision is the thing you will be doing the most. So- yeah. yeah. You got to get good at it. You got to work on it. Nobody's nobody taught you this in high school or college. So 
this is you got to this is the biggest thing on your tool belt is your ability to persuade yeah i i hired a a sales coach once spent like twelve thousand dollars to just have them put me through sales torture essentially but to get good at it and it's one of those things that you realize you know you you have to do it all the time everything in your business is always sales right you're selling to your staff on you know doing good work and you're selling to your customers on why you should have the service and you're selling your service providers everything it's all it's all sales in one form or another and really when you get down to it understanding what sales is where it's it's just learning how to say hey here's the problem you have and here's the solution that we have and let's put those two things together um, when you really understand that's what sales is, because people have it in their head, you know, sales is, you know, the, the dirty car salesman or whatever. Um, and I think that does a disservice. People do not, do not understand where sales actually fits. And sales is always in some form or fashion, problem, solution. Here's let's put them together. Right. And yeah. And, that's, yeah. and if you're selling something good, especially something that they don't know they need or that would be to their benefit, and then you you have to help them understand that that's a good thing. If you're talking somebody into going to college to learn a, a specific skill because they want to uh, have a career, but they go, "Ah, oh, but I really like construction too, and maybe I should just get a construction job right away." You, that's doing something for their benefit. When you're selling something bad. Of course, that's what gives all of sales a bad reputation is somebody's getting over on you uh, to sell their crap, basically, uh, or, or, to, or to overprice what they're, they're doing, what they're selling you. But most of the time, if you want a satisfying life, screwing people is not going to be the way to go because it's going to catch up to you. And it's and in the end, you're not going to have a lot of friends and you're not going to have a lot of business friends. So and you may have a lot of money. Good for you. Uh, but when you've got something, when somebody doesn't understand the value of something, let's the life insurance is a perfect example. People need life insurance. You get kids, you get a wife, you get an RV, <laughs> you, you need life insurance. Right? But somebody probably had to talk you into it. Uh, and if they haven't, they should. Because you need it, and nobody wants to talk about it. They want to. They, they want to pretend they're going to live forever. So a salesperson has to say, "I know you think you're going to live forever. I have to help you with that delusion, and and talk about what this unpleasant thing that you want that you need to talk about for your benefit. For your benefit to help them. So I want to talk a little bit about your your suggestion to get good on video too. All right, because um, I know that's one of those things that. That a lot of us, particularly those of us, you know, to get back to your book title, who are shy, <laughs> have a problem yeah. with. Um, and I know, like, I, I am not particularly great on camera when the camera is by itself, right? So I do much better when I have someone else on the other on the other side of the camera that I can I can actually talk to and interact with. So, what are some of your suggestions for people who want to get good at talking to what is essentially an inanimate object, right? And so they, because you, because really. You, you're just disconnecting the the communication, right? Because there is going to be someone else on the other side. Um, but you have to get over that that mental switch of like, hey, I'm I'm not talking to the live right now. I'm talking to the camera, who's the video. Then is going to go talk to that person. It's it comes down to getting good at most things. Embrace sucking, um, and and put yourself in a situation. So if you know you're not going to be good at it, you need to set up a camera 
and you need to just nobody's going to see it but you nobody's in the room but you and you got to just start you're going to say i'm going to explain this and give yourself 60 seconds to explain it and do it over and over and over again and then watch the video it comes down to that and and if you have somebody there who can tell you certain things obviously there are people that can coach you so you want to look at the camera you want to smile you want to this is you want to have energy this is a projection of your best most enthusiastic self you want to be clear you want to be articulate all of those things take practice now you may need to memorize something in order to do it i don't recommend that everything sounds like it's memorized working with a teleprompter takes a year of practice to get really good at so you want to be able to get up and and say in 20 or 30 seconds something clear and so but this this i said it earlier talk to that camera like you're talking to your best friend and take a few breaths before you do it to relax yourself i talk about a bunch of this stuff in my book about meeting people but it's the same thing talking to camera it's like how how do you engage you're gonna you're gonna calmly clearly express yourself and it just takes doing it because you there's no way you know how to do it because what and that you're gonna watch the video and go like why am i looking away why am i looking down what am i doing why don't i look at the camera and you'll fix that it doesn't matter the content doesn't matter at that point it's the the physical habits that you want to change so that you're comfortable connecting to that camera and you're and you're watching what your hands do and what your face you have ticks do you have all of this stuff that you can't resist scratching your head or you're like you, you're, you're going to find yourself doing all sorts of <laughs> dumb stuff and you're going to go like what stop it right but you have to catch yourself because it's all automatic it's just happening and then all of a sudden you'll say wow i that's how to do it that that was pretty good and then show it to somebody else and say what do you see what what's what's what am i doing wrong was that persuasive was that convincing and they and they said well it was really good till you trailed off at the end uh or geez you didn't smile at all and you went i was trying to smile it's like but it looked like this you know so work on it yeah yeah but, so so, but, so the secret is hard work is that what i'm hearing <laughs> yeah i know that's the bad news right I, I don't have a magic wand that you will suddenly be good on video uh any anything you're anything anybody's great at it's because they worked at it yeah and yeah. and and there's a whole bunch of stuff in the garbage you know when we make tv commercials we would you know We'd shoot 10 takes before we'd nail it or 15 or 20. I've gone 50 sometimes with in certain situations. So you get it exactly right. It's, it's failing till you succeed. Yeah. It's just, just got to do the hard work, which yeah. I know is it's always, it's always a struggle because you know, we want it to just be, you know, I've just, I've decided to do this thing and now I'm going to be good at it. It never happens that way, unfortunately, but we do wish it did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't do it with language. We wouldn't assume because we wanted to speak Spanish 
that we would suddenly that the next day be good at it. But all sorts of other stuff, we feel like we should be or because we're going to be embarrassed. Like nobody's embarrassed because they can't speak Spanish because they go like, I never learned Spanish. But we feel like we should have all of these other social skills and sales skills and business skills and stuff like that that come with time and practice and learning and failing till you get better. Yeah. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So I've got a couple more questions for you here before we, uh, we wrap up the, uh, wrap up the interview. And I'm going to talk um, briefly about your own personal heroes. Um, so, you know, everyone has, every hero has their mentors, just like Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, or even Spider-Man had his uncle Ben, um, or in the newest one, if you've been watching it, it was Aunt May. Um, I want to know who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, speakers, authors, maybe peers who were a couple of years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you accomplished over the life of your career? The first thing that happened to me in advertising, remember I said I was in that ad agency and the general manager said, I'm not going to give you a job because you don't know how to write this stuff. But he also gave me a book by this author. His name was George Lois. Uh, and the title of the book it was very funny. It's George, be careful, which is what his parents always said to him. But he was part of the 60s advertising revolution, the creativity that poured into the marketplace for the first time. And, and I read about his life and his career, and I, and I, and I said, that I want to do that. That is a life I want. And I had no vision of any of that before. So George Lois always stuck in my mind as uh, how I wanted to approach my, the kind of work life I wanted. Uh, and then over the years, I met various people, really successful people. But probably the person I admire most is uh, Sir Richard Branson, just because how he, uh, yeah, uh, he's, he's got Virgin Airways, he's got Virgin Galactic. Uh, he recently just went he was, uh, into space uh, as an astronaut. Yeah. Um, and uh, but he's 
an incredibly generous person, um, very down to earth, very playful, um, and and believes that because he has been lucky and been successful, that it is important that he find ways to give back, to make a difference in the world. And so he works at it and his son and daughter run a huge foundation that has charitable events all around the world going on all the time. And they're helping young people and business owners and, and people like that. But it was meeting him and seeing how normal he was and how, like how he treated everybody the same way. He didn't come at them like, I'm really important. I'm really successful. I'm a billionaire. Why are you talking to me? He never gave that vibe off. Um, and it, it really stuck with me, uh, having met him and, uh, and I played chess with him. I actually managed to play chess with him a few times, which was really fun, especially when I beat him. I beat him once and he called me a really bad name. Not a lot of people can say they beat Richard Branson at chess. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, there, and there are, there are many people, tons of authors, uh, that I've read that have given me so much value. Um, and, and many, many business people who guided me along the way and took me under their wing and said, you know, look at this a different way or gave me an opportunity uh, all through my life. I've been blessed with, with mentors of all different types and, and learned to really value them and learn to really listen to them and uh, invite their candor which is so important. It's really hard to get feedback, just like watching a video of yourself. It's really hard to get feedback, to invite feedback and say, look, no, I just, I need to know the truth. I need to play it straight. Don't sugarcoat it with me. Uh, it's hard to listen to that stuff, but you need it. It's a life skill when you learn how to do that, because that's how you get better. There are people who know a lot more than you. And there are people that know you a lot of times better than you know you. Yeah, absolutely. And having having the people in your life that are willing to actually tell you those things um, and and actually give it to you straight is such an important aspect of growing your business. Um, I know it wasn't until I started getting into a, a regular mastermind group where I had that, that our, my business started growing really rapidly. Yeah, it, it makes such a difference. I mean, a good friend is somebody you have a great time with. A great friend is somebody who says, you know you're messing up here, right? <laughs> yeah. And you go, well, what do you what do you mean? Why you? It's like you can't keep behaving this way. You know, you drink too much, or something like that, or you drink and drive, or any any number of things. They the a great friend calls you out, and yeah. and gets right in your face. Uh, and I've got great friends. Absolutely I'm tired of them. Tired of them calling me out, but they do it anyway. <laughs> That's why you keep them around. Yeah. Uh, so, um, last question for you. One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code, um, right? For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever puts them in Arkham Asylum. So as we uh, wrap up the interview, I want to talk about top one, maybe two principles that you use regularly in your life. Something maybe you wish you had known when you started out all those years ago on your own hero's journey. It's evolved over time to always be asking what can, what can i give how can i lead with my giving hand 
in every situation without expecting a direct return from that person. A lot of times my generosity uh, or, or service goes in one direction and the reward will come from a completely different direction. This service may not pay off, may not monetize at all. It may monetize in feeling like I helped somebody. But that creed is like, oh, always start with how can I serve? How can I help you out? And I and this came to me, you know, when I met Tony Shea, who was the CEO of Zappos, who passed away a couple of years ago, I met him and we went to lunch. And the first thing out of out of his mouth after we sat down was, so how can I help you? I said, and I'm thinking. How, he's, he's, this is a billionaire right? <laughs> who's, who's asking me how he can help me instead of worrying about what I can do for him. He doesn't care about that. And when you, you know, so my creed is to care about what I have to offer, what impact I can have. Um, and it's got to be a win-win or I'm not going to play. And integrity never, uh, profits will never trump integrity. I will never, there will never be a good enough deal or a rich enough deal or I will sacrifice my integrity for. Yeah, yeah, that's such an important thing too. And it's one of the things that I think is really interesting about entrepreneurship in general is, you know, we're we're eclipsing 200 episodes here on this show and I've interviewed everything from, you know, brand new mom and pop startups to to people who are venture capitaling in in Silicon Valley um, with multi-billion dollar companies and everything in between. And what's interesting to me is how common that mentality is, that integrity is such an important aspect of running a business. And what's interesting is culturally, entrepreneurs are looked at as the villains, right? The entrepreneurs are always, they're always the villain in in everything, you know, willing to sacrifice whatever for the dollar right and it's like it just one of the movies that came out over the holidays was a uh um what's his name ryan ryan reynolds was free guy and the premise of the movie essentially is i mean it's a great movie but the premise of the movie is the video game entrepreneur is willing to sacrifice life for a dollar right he's willing to 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 kill the ai um that they created in order to make money um Mm -hmm. and i was like that's always that's always the uh the mentality that is shoved down our throats is that entrepreneurs are willing to sacrifice integrity for money. And when you actually get into the entrepreneurship community, you find it's exactly the opposite. And that's why we run this show. That's why the hero show exists is to help hopefully change that conversation a bit. But yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I appreciate the, uh, the, the mentality. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's important to me that people do understand that I, I grew up with the, the thinking that oh, rich people are jerks, they're greedy jerks. And I had to let go of that limiting belief because I know really, really, you know, obviously Sir Richard and, and Tony Shea are examples. Of, these are really good, generous people who are richer than I will ever be. And so I can't dismiss them as greedy jerks. Um, and most of the successful people I know are not greedy jerks. The, the reality is, if somebody's a greedy jerk and they're rich, they were a greedy jerk when they were broke. And, yeah. and so 
don't paint all all enterprise. People make all sorts of great things that make your life better uh, all the time. And by taking risks, by being entrepreneurs, and so learn to appreciate them because they're willing to take the risks that you want in order to succeed. And so what if, if they get rewarded for it? What's wrong with that? That's nothing disproportional about that. They they took a big chance and a chance to lose. If you're not if you're working a job every day for a salary, you're not taking a lot of chances. You could get laid off, something like that. But most of the time, you get a paycheck coming. An entrepreneur is always got to earn her paycheck. Yep. <laughs> forever. <laughs> you got to show up every time, or you don't get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and you know you mentioned earlier one of the things that stuck out. You said, "Hey, we made a mistake, and who's taking the pay cut? It's me." Yeah. Right? It's not not your staff. They're still getting their paycheck. So. Yeah, I'm the shock absorber and so that's what happens. And and it could it could go under completely. I could have invested all my money into a, a business enterprise and it it goes 3 or 4 years and then fails completely. I I lose everything. And nobody nobody steps up and goes, "That's too bad. Here, Let's give you all the money you need for groceries for the next two years. I got to figure out what to do because yeah. I took a chance. So they're, they're not there to step up when I fall and, and help me. So why be there to criticize me when I succeed? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's a, a great place to wrap our interview um, with, that, with that mentality um, that entrepreneurs are really are the ones that make the world go round. Um, so I do finish every interview with a simple challenge I call the heroes challenge. And basically I do this to help get access to stories I might not find otherwise on my own. Cause not everyone's out doing the podcast rounds like you and I are. Um, so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show? First person that comes to mind for you. Spencer. He, uh, started, uh, a business that he brought me in as a partner on and I've he's the most coachable person I know it's amazing to watch him grow from a young business person with no business skills to just really run a business well run a team well and just take the feedback and and get better at what he does all the time and he's also terrific at delegating a lot of people our entrepreneurs are micromanagers at the beginning. They can't let go of anything. Uh, he's a really, his instinct to delegate is really strong and it's really impressive. Awesome. So what we'll do is we'll uh, reach out later and see if we get an introduction, maybe get him to come on the show. Not everyone says yes, but those that do, sometimes you get really cool stories. Um, so I do... Um, at the end of you know all the comic books, there's always the crowd of people who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism. So our uh, our analogous to that as we close here is where can people find you if they want your help in the future? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, "Hey, Fred, how can you teach me to be super bold?" Right? And I think uh, well, obviously the book is out there on Amazon. It's in, it's in audio and Kindle and hardcover, and uh, you can go to fredjoyle.com, download the first chapter. But if you want a half an hour of counsel, counseling, book a, a free consultation. You can do it right there on fredjoyle.com. And I'll, I'll talk you through something just for the fun of it. So who are the, uh, the right types of people to reach out and you know, pick up that book or to you know, do, take a, a consultation session? 
if, if you are, are at a point where you say, my confidence is holding me back, my hesitation is I've missed too many opportunities and you're tired of it, which is a lot of people, or, and you could be anywhere in your life or your career, it could be about meeting people or trying to get a promotion or trying to start your own business or just starting a new chapter in your life. It's anybody who's trying to build that confidence. Is, that's who the book is for. So it's uh, super bold. And again, you can find that anywhere, Amazon, anywhere books are sold. Um, and you said the audiobook is out already because that's, that's probably where yep. I'll pick it up is pick up the audiobook, make my son yep. listen to it with me. Um, <laughs> yep. So, Sounds great. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Fred. Really appreciate getting to hear your story and hear the story behind 1-800-Dentist and everything. Very fascinating. Um, do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for my audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? Uh, I would say the mantra you can always say to yourself for, and as a rule of confidence is wherever you are, say, I belong everywhere. If you could change that mindset, it will change a lot in your life. Absolutely. I belong everywhere. So just, you know, that you belong wherever you are. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you for coming on again today, Fred. Appreciate it. 